0: We are in the middle of a series, uh, a building and living a life of no excuses. And we're using Jeremiah chapter 4 as our main text, all right? Jeremiah chapter 4 as our main text. We'll read from verse 4 to verse 10, the New American Standard Bible. It says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, and I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations, over the kingdoms, to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build and to plant. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And everybody said, I'm using this book of Jeremiah as our main text. At least chapter 1 and the verses we are reading there. Because I believe in the story of Jeremiah, all of us can to some extent identify with him. He was called by God as a young person. And so the book of Jeremiah contains the prophecies of this young man, of this man called Jeremiah, whom God called in his youth. When you read the book of Jeremiah, you note that Jeremiah was a heartbroken prophet. And he had a heartbreaking message to his generation. Because, you see, he was called in ministry during the time of King Josiah, who was the last of the godly kings of Judah. At the time of Jeremiah, it was one of Judah's darkest hour. And God raises this young man At a time like that. You see, none of us can dictate to God which time of history we should be born. Nor can we dictate to God what background we should have. But in that background and in that history, you were not an accident when you were born. You were born by God's design, by God's foreknowledge, by God's predestination, and you came into the world ...to fulfill a purpose. Amen. Even though you may feel like Jeremiah... ...who felt like... ...his ministry is not an easy one... ...because he's coming to ministry... ...at a time when Judah was at its worst. But against all persecution and hardships... ...Jeremiah stood his ground... ...boldly proclaiming the message from God... ...to a stiff-necked generation. And so during his ministry... He warned God's people that catastrophe would fall on the nation because of their idolatry and because of their sin. And Jeremiah lived to see this come true with the fall of Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He saw the the destruction of the city and the destruction of the temple. He saw the children of Israel exiled to Babylon and, and all that. And he also foretold that eventually they would come back from exile and they would go through a time of the restoration of the nation. And Jeremiah lived to see that. And so in that dark time where God was calling him, he felt that he couldn't do what God told him to do. He made a number of excuses to God. See, an excuse is simply an explanation that frees you from responsibility. That's what an excuse is. When you give an excuse, you are freeing yourself from responsibility, sometimes from blame or even from fault. And Jeremiah gives God several excuses. Number one, he says to God, the task is demanding. How can you call me at a time like this when the task is so demanding? His second excuse is that my talent is inadequate. In Jeremiah 1.6, he says, oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. He said, you know, my talent is inadequate. Thirdly, he gives the third excuse. He says, the time is not right because I'm just young. Why don't you call me when I'm much older? I'm just young. And then the fourth excuse, he says, the teaching is dangerous. The assignment is dangerous. You are sending me to a bloodthirsty people who are disobedient to you. But then the last excuse, he says, well, do I have to go now? <laughs> Can you just wait until everything settles? In short, the timing is not right. And I want all of us to understand in this place that there are things that when we are supposed to do, we can give excuses concerning those things. We can always explain. You know, I was thinking of a verse this morning, very interesting verse that says, the sluggard will say, there's a lion in the street, I'm going to die. You know, there's a lion, also a There's a lion in the street, I'm going to die. So, you know, this person kills themselves even before they die. That's what people with excuses say. One, one verse says, you know, the, 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 the lazy people, uh, when, the, when they look at the weather, they don't sow. So they don't sow because the weather is not good. So we can give all kinds of excuses. And unfortunately, I think in our country, we should become men and women who really learn and do their best not to have excuses. Because as I look around, it doesn't mean it started now nor did it start with the advent of democracy. But for some reason, we have gotten into a culture of excuses. Let's let's be honest. The culture of excuses didn't start with us. It started in the Garden of Eden with our great-great-great-great-great-grandfather and grandmother, Adam and Eve, who made a lot of excuses in the Garden of Eden. And so we live through a life of excuses. And like my bishop says, you know, we were talking about it, Moban. and and one thing she likes to say is that, you know, when you make an excuse, it's it's really great when you are explaining. And everybody understands. Ne? And you 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 know how to say it. You know, you can say it very nicely. Marok after you have explained, things are still the same. Tell your neighbor, things are still the same. Tell your neighbor who's not saying anything. I hope I'm not sitting next to your cops. Things are still not, things are, are still the same. So you know the, the, the issue here You know, it's a real problem because what it's saying is that you have to understand why I have underperformed. Understand why I haven't taken responsibility. Understand. And so we go through all kinds of excuses. So why do we make excuses as human beings? The first reason is fear. Fear. The feeling of fear keeps us inside our comfort zone. And it prevents us from venturing into the unknown. There are people who will not try something new because they're afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid. There are people who will never sleep in a house all by themselves with the lights off. <laughs> How many of you are sitting next to one of those? There are people who will never ever go on an on airplane. An, on an I know, I know, I know a, 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 a servant of the Lord uh, who has passed now and throughout their life, they never got on a plane. Yeah. Never got on this person he, their ministry touched the whole world. <laughs> 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 but they, they never not once did they get on a plane because they were afraid it might crash. Yeah. Some of people will never get into water because they think they're gonna drown. They ever will never ever go on a on a on heights or bungee jumping. Oh, why are you looking at me like that? (laughs) But you know, there's lots of people we become afraid of. And so people are often afraid of things because they don't understand them or they are lacking information they need. So if excuses are constantly made to avoid things that we're afraid of, it's likely that the fear will never go away. So there are people whose life is characterized by fear. So afraid. They'll never study because they're afraid to fail. They'll never marry because they're afraid it will break. They will never travel because they're afraid. They will never cross the border because they, they, they just never do anything. So they're just afraid. They'll never join any church because Baruti Bab Kruku. So they just never do anything. And the, their life is just filled with fear. 2 Timothy 1 6 and 7, Paul is talking to a young man who's very gifted. Listen to this. Very gifted, very anointed, but this young man, they are gifting and their anointing is imprisoned by their fear. There are many gifted people, anointed people, whose giftings are imprisoned by their fear. I was shocked. You know, I've been listening to the book of Ecclesiastes. If I'm not wrong, I think it's chapter 12 or chapter whatever, somewhere. As I was listening to it, I wasn't, I wasn't sitting down and reading, I was listening to it. And in this chapter, it's an amazing chapter where it kind of says it this way, and it's in the New Living Translation. It, it, it says, you know, it's not always to the wise that life goes well for. Then it says, it's not always the strong who conquer. It's not always the fastest who win the race. I'm just paraphrasing. And I said, like, hey! You, you would think if somebody is naturally fast, the other one will win the race. And he says, no, not so. And I found out there are many talented people who are under-challenged. They get by with mediocrity. But they never ever push themselves to the fullness of their potential. Look at your neighbor and say, why would you to just work away? And so there's, there's people like that. And their problem is they are riddled. The people who are riddled with fear. People who could do more. You know, the first time I started traveling, which I would really recommend to many of you, Bazelon, and thank God for those of you who are already traveling, the first thing I noticed when I started tra- traveling was the feeling of not being in your country. In another land is very unsettling. It's very unsettling. And then you have, t- and then you realize you you did come back home. Hawashwa. So you know your fear was unjustified, unjustified. Oh, particularly if you go to a country where they don't speak your language. You know? If you go to Korea, for instance, they don't speak English. (laughs) They have another kind of English. (laughs) They don't speak English. Then you'll appreciate them when they come here to South Africa. Then you'll appreciate their efforts. Chinese people coming here. What they have to go through when they're not within their their familiar environment. When you have to... eat Korean food. See, see. if all you want is a problem, then it's a problem because clearly, there are no papa, no nama. You eat what they eat. One of them is kimchi. No kimchi. So there's people who are... So in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, Paul says, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind hallelujah so it means fear is a spirit not a demon it's a spirit it's an attitude not a spirit in a sense of something that possesses you like an evil spirit but it's an attitude it's a way of thinking it's a way of processing if how you process things you always you know defer to the negative immediately you know how you to already negative kilo fail. How about chooser over the leader already? It's a spirit of fear. The Amplified says that is why I would remind you to stir up, rekindle the embers of, fan the flame of, and keep burning the gracious gift of God, the inner fire that is in you by means of the laying on of my hands with those of the elders of your ordination. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven and cringing and fawning fear. But he has given us a spirit of power, of love, and of a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. I tell you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he will change you and turn you into another person. Yeah. That's why the anointed you sometimes is not the normal you. The anointed you can do things that the normal you cannot do. You look at Peter. Normally, he was afraid of the Jews. On the night Jesus was crucified, he denied Jesus. But in the upper room, when the Holy Ghost came upon him them locked behind doors afraid of the Jews when the Holy Spirit came upon him he went to the very doors that he had locked, he opened those doors he faced the people he was afraid of and he spoke to them with boldness and something has happened to this guy, there's something that has come upon him, I see the same power coming upon you in Jesus when the Holy Spirit comes upon us we can do what we can't do in our normal self but we need to learn that god hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Number 2, the second thing is failure. Failure. Some people give excuses and they will never try anything because they don't want to fail. Now let me say this to you. Failure is unavoidable. Failure is inevitable. At some point in your life you're going to fail if you haven't failed yet, you might just fail before the end of today. You even failed now because you failed to say amen to when I was preaching. Yeah. Luke 22 is one of the scriptures that I, when I started understanding this years ago, I've really embraced it so well. And please allow me for the sake of time. i everything. It says here, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail you and when you have returned to me strengthen your brethren that verse but Simon said to him Lord I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death and Jesus says I tell you Peter the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times this is before Jesus is crucified and he's telling them, all of you guys you are going to run away. All of you are going to get away from me and not me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. and, and you know, it's, it's, it's with compassion that Jesus looks at him and, and says, what's up again, Simon? Satan is, wants to hit you so hard that you make a mistake that you can never recover from. But I've prayed for you because I know what's coming. Watch what he says. he says. I prayed for you that your faith should not fail you. He's not saying, I've prayed for you that you shouldn't fail. But that you belief in me and your confidence in me. There are people when they fail, they walk away from God. When things don't work, they stop coming to church. They stop praying. They stop believing God because what they were What they were hoping didn't happen. You know, as you saw some of the announcements here, one of the people who was announced today is an elderly lady. And I'll never forget this elderly lady and her family. Because as a young pastor, when we were at Homemakers, something happened that that season, it was this kind of season where Satan wanted to sift me as wheat. We had gone on a picnic as a church and we lost a young girl at that picnic. Coming back, we didn't realize she hadn't come back with us, this girl. And when the family inquired about her whereabouts, after a lot of inquiries with the place where we had gone to, a gruesome discovery was made that this girl had died in the pool. It was a dark day for me as a young pastor. Because here I am, I went to picnic with somebody's child. They were alive and I'm bringing back a corpse. It was a dark day. It was a dark day because I had to be the bearer of the bad news. Early hours of the morning, driving to that home, having to break the news to the family. It was a dark day. It was a time in our church when we were going through a lot of persecution. I, I'm no stranger to persecution, but I'm used to it. People were spreading stories about us. And I remember when they heard about the passing of this girl, they said Rizibil. That's why Gracie Ehula. about it. I remember the most difficult day was the day of the funeral when I had to go and officiate. And as I walked to go into the house, I saw people whispering, looking at me, pointing, and I overheard some of them. It such a dark day. Dark day praying to God the newspapers don't get hold of it. But you know, this family that I want to thank was so gracious. The old lady was passed on together with her children and the mom and the whole family. They were so gracious. Far more gracious to me than what I was thinking of myself. And the way they talked to me, the way they said, no, pastor, we understand what happened. We don't blame you. The way they were so positive shocked me. And as I stand here today, I, I'm a witness that there's days when Satan wants to sift you. And failure can take the winds out of your sails. And you can make an excuse for not being a pastor and point to that sails and say, this happened to me, I cannot go on. I had to learn to still stand, even when I knew what people were thinking. At a point, you can't prove your innocence. I'm glad the family embraced me and loved me and understood. But I had to learn to stand before a hostile people and still do what I'm supposed to do. And one of them passed on and was buried yesterday. And I want to thank the family for that. I really want to. But that day can come in your life as well, if it hasn't come already. Where it's difficult for you to face your failures. Peter was so disappointed with himself after he denied Jesus three times that night. And when the rooster crowed, the Bible said he looked at Jesus and Jesus looked at him. That look where you don't have to say anything is the look that says everything. And the Bible says Peter was so discouraged that he went out of the city, the Bible says, and he wept bitterly. Judas Iscariot, you had sold Jesus. He went out of the city and he hanged, him, he hanged himself. That's what, that's what failure can cause you to do. And after Jesus was raised from the dead, he tells the women, go tell my brother and aunt Peter that I've been raised from the dead. He, he singles out Peter because God understands that you will fail sometimes. He says, Peter, the devil has, has, the devil has demanded to sift you as wheat, Mara. I have prayed for you, Vanagut. You will fall, Mara. Your faith will not fail you. Uzovuga foot. And if you analyze the interaction of Jesus after he was raised from the dead, how he interacted with Peter, he was trying to bring him back on his feet. And he says, and when you have been brought back, go and strengthen my brother. And what is he saying? He's saying, Peter, you'll understand when you have failed, you'll have compassion for others who fail. When you see other people fail, you will not be critical. You will not criticize. Am I talking to people who are in the house here? Because the failures of life will teach you to be compassionate to other people. And when you fail, you're not going to make any excuses. But sometimes failure makes us to come up with excuses. Whenever you're trying something new or taking some risks, you have a chance of failing. However, it's important to remember that when you fail, you don't lose everything. Failure just means that things are not going the way you expected them to go. And therefore you need to remain flexible to get back on track. Somebody in this house. Maybe you, you look at a life of failed projects. Failed initiatives. Things you prayed about. that were prophesied over your life. I hope you are not going to come up with an excuse not to try again. I hope you're not going to come up with a I hope you're going to get back on your feet and you're going to get back on the project and you're going to do it again in Jesus' name. <laughs> Number three, uncertainty. The fear of uncertainty means that people are worried about the unknown future events or circumstances that come their way. And uncertainty causes us to be double-minded. James 1 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask from God who gives liberally and without reproach, it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Watch this, Baselon. When you become a double-minded person, you never want to make any decision at all. You're trying to move forward whilst protecting your fears. You want to live life on the safe side. You're always trying to analyze, not failing, until your analysis paralyzes you. So you don't move. The Amplified Bible in verse 8 says, For he being, for being as he is, a man of two minds hesitating, dubious, irresolute. He is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything he thinks, feels, and decides. People fear uncertainty because they don't have enough experience to give them confidence, so they become double minded. And so without experience perspective, people often make assumptions or they jump to conclusions. So even before they start, they've already failed themselves. Even before Bazama, they're already seeing the worst. So they will not commit to anything. So they have too much. So they're not going to move forward. Listen, you can never move into the future once you are looking backwards. You can never progress to the next day once you are changed to the previous day. At some point, you have to have some certainty that I have put my car in forward drive and I'm not going to put it in reverse. And I'm not going to allow uncertainty to run my life. Number four, is it number four? Number four. The reason people make excuses is that they have no specific goals. There are people who never put any goals. So if you haven't made any goal, whatever you do, we still celebrate you. So, you know, if you just say, no, I'm going into this tournament, I'll do my best. You're not saying I'm going to win the cup. So even if you're knocked out at the round of 16, we still celebrate you. I, I don't, don't put anything into what I said. <laughs> because you didn't put any specific goals. So you can't really, you can't really push yourself. So you can always excuse yourself. Because you didn't put any goals. If you don't have specific and measurable goals, it's easy to make excuses. For example, there's a difference between saying, I want to lose weight this year or I'm going to lose 10 kilograms. So if, if I, do, I want to lose weight this year, I you lose half a kilo. We celebrate. You don't like my sermon now, I know. See, with that specific goal in mind, you are less likely to come up with an excuse every day. So when you have a goal that's very concrete, you will always challenge yourself. Vague goals will often not get you very far. If you don't have a clear destination in mind, it's very easy to make excuses to avoid doing something that you don't want to do. In fact, God says this in the book of Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 2, he said, Then the Lord answered and said, Write the vision, make it plain. Somebody say, make it plain. Say it again. Make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. The sense that it's giving here is that you've got to make your vision so clear and put it on a billboard so that even somebody who's running past the billboard can read what you've written, comprehend it, move into action, and understand what you meant. So in other words, don't have a complex way of verbalizing what you want to achieve. So that like, why are they not getting water in this village because you have a dam? Then you come with a very complex explanation. You know are no, you see, it, it the predisposition <laughs> was because there must be a process in place that runs in tandem with the uh, whatever. You know it's poor marok sala you After you've said all that, ha huname see. articulate what you want in simple terms so that we can easily measure if we were able to hit the goal. Instead of making it so complex that you have to be a rocket scientist to figure out what you say. Some of you didn't hear my rocket scientist one. Look at your neighbor and say, are you a cop or what? Are you a lover? <laughs> the Amplified says, and the Lord answered and said to me, write the vision, engrave it so plainly upon tablets that everyone who passes may be able to read it easily and quickly as he hastens by. The message Bible says, and then God answered, write this, write what you see, write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. Can I hear an amen? amen. Can I hear an amen, amen? The next thing is mistakes. Mistakes. You may make excuses because you are scared to make mistakes. Mistakes might seem like the end of the world. Now, I want to give you these scriptures. I won't read them for the sake of time. Please write them down. Acts 12, 25. All right. Acts 12, 25. Acts 15, verse 37. Colossians 4:10. And 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 11. Now, You know, when you read the Bible, if you don't try to think about those people being like us today, you'll never see the message that is conveyed. In Acts 12, we read about Paul and Barnabas who teamed up to go and preach the gospel. And Paul and Barnabas were people of different temperaments, all right? Paul would be what you call your classical type A personality, very organized, very driven very goal-oriented high achiever perfectionist but the downside of that very impatient Uh, and 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 unfortunately he ran into people on his team who were the laid-back kind you know those people who are laid back they're never in hurry. they they are never panicking lovely lady they don't run how many of you are sitting next to one of those? <laughs> you know, yesterday I was running to the Ministry of Health. I was somehow, I, you know, I was preparing at home and I got caught into preparation and I lost track of time. I'm on time, but I'm too tight, you know. So, yeah, I come driving out, you know. And here I'm driving down Old Porch Road and I'm, all of a sudden I'm behind one of these laid back guys. <laughs> He's driving. 40 kilometers per hour. I mean, I'm looking at my... 40, 40, 40 kilometers per hour. And you know those people who keep on the right lane? How many of you are sitting next to one of those right lane people who go at 40 kilometers per hour? And you know, I'm going to church and I'm thinking, you know, I must be nice because probably they may be going to church as well. In the past when i was a young pastor i never used to understand i used to pass these people and look at them with that eye that's not very godly and then then when we turn then they would turn with me and come into the chain and i say, no i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> but i've learned better i become so i passed this guy and and you know and he gives me that look like what <laughs> what So I don't say, I didn't give you a bad look. I just looked at them and and drove past and I'm here. So, you know, Paul and Barnabas were that kind of a team. (laughs) But it was worse than they had a guy join them by the name of John Mark. He's an amplified version of this slow kind. He's not a very, he's a good guy. Mara, he gives up caspit. Mariana is a good guy. (laughs) So one day on one trip, as they went in a place called Pamphylia. Things got hot there. The, the Things were not good. People were not very happy with their ministry. And then John Mark Abonero, So he just left and said, No, he left. So when he left, he left Paul and Barnabas to sort out everything. So in Acts in chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas started talking about him. Because now they wanted to go on another trip. And Paul says, I don't want that guy, John Mark. He mustn't come, he mustn't join us. Barnabas says, why? He said, well, you saw what he did. Barnabas said, give the brother a chance. He said, no, I'm not giving him a chance. He must commit, he must die for the cause. You know those kind of people who talk like they must die for, you know, some people can't die for the cause. They run for the cause. They don't die for the cause. So, Paul was very hard, you know. But then later on, when he has grown up, you know, when you, one thing about growing up is, you learn to shave off your type A personality traits and be more compassionate. You know, that's why we all, you know, always parents always argue with their children when grandchildren come. Because when they bring the grandchildren home, you let them bump, get, jump on the sofa and your children are standing there saying, all right. So you let them, <laughs> see, you don't see, what has happened is that the, the grandparents have grown up. They understand that if Banaba bamba most of things. It's neither here nor there. Mara, when you are young, you say, Banaba ka bakasto bamba. wanaka oto hanka seven. Hayo. wanam wanamu anyana. Santa chuka five, Orka four. Santa chuka ka three. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? But as you grow older, and you, as you become more experienced, then you realize what about that? they are not? How about holidaying? Why about to have They can watch movies until... I don't know what happened. What did they show there? What did they show there? <laughs> yeah? Ah, that's not fair. <laughs> And this is why, if you will allow life to teach you, is that as you get older, you become more understanding and more compassionate. And so Paul, in the latter days of his ministry now, listen what he's saying about the same guy called John Mark. Now, in some... In some verses, they'll just call him Mark. But it's the same person, John Mark. Listen what he's saying in the book of Colossians. Paul now is in prison now. is towards the end of his life. grandpa. Okay. Listen what he's saying. He's saying, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings. He's writing to the church in Colossae. And so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, Make Mark welcome <laughs> If he comes your way The tone has changed Second Timothy 4, 9-11 This one is very interesting I read it in the Weymouth translation He's writing now To the church in Ephesus He's writing to Timothy He says to Timothy Make an effort to come to me speedily For Demas has deserted me Loving as he does the present age And has gone to Thessalonica Christians has gone to Galatia and Titans to Dalmatia. Now watch. Luke is the only friend I now have with me. Call for Mark on your way and bring him with you for he is a great help to me in the ministry. Ah! Weh, No, but you see, he, 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 had, he had made a mistake before. What am I saying? If this great man of God anointed who wrote almost three quarters of the New Testament, who received some of the greatest revelation, who says that he has been to heaven and he has seen things that it's not even lawful to talk about. If this guy can make mistakes, ask him some, give yourself a break, man. (laughs) Give yourself a break. Give yourself a chance. You'll make mistakes. Instead of coming up with an excuse, you're wrong. You won't break. I was wrong. I didn't know. Don't so come up with a spiritual reason to no, know. The Lord is now doing a new thing. Ah, ah, oh. The Lord is hearing it for the first time. All right, he's not doing any new thing. You made a mistake. I've learned as a pastor that you have to embrace the reality of you being a mortal being. I often say that we must always remember that this treasure and this gold of the anointing and all these giftings God's given us are housed in an earthen vessel. They're housed in a, in a human being who's full of mistakes. So just like parents, you know, when you've made a mistake with mistakes with your children, you can't undo it. You cannot do it. It's a mistake. And they must not blame you when you say the grandchildren must sleep until ten o'clock. You know, when I say I'm talking about? How many of You have ever said that to your parents? i but you see, we need to embrace that. I look at it as a pastor. In my leadership, I can say, Barcelona, there are decisions I've made that were not the best. And unfortunately, I had to experiment. Kaluna. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> but as, I, as I've grown up, I have a different perspective of so many things about people the one thing i've learned is that in everybody everybody has that intrinsic thing about them to be good everybody 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 has good in them even the worst criminal has good in them i've learned that i've learned that i've learned that and so and so when i approach people i don't start looking for bad i've made that conscious decision when i when i meet people I try to look for good first. Amen. Yeah. Some people, it's very hard to find it, but <laughs> is there somewhere <laughs> buried in everything they're trying to portray. We try to look for good. But we all make mistakes. Can I hear an amen? amen. Can I hear an Let me close with this one. The next one is comparison. Comparison. People often fear being compared to others for they perceive to be more talented or better than others. So, if you're always comparing yourself with people, you'll always have excuses. Yeah. Now, to illustrate this, I'm going to go through my illustration. Bro, you are the, you are the perfect guy. And then I think I'm going to ask, a, 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 yeah, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm calling my musicians. I think this is a great one. Yeah. I thought about it when I was at the back. Shababa. <laughs> Am I useful for it? Yeah. These are our musicians, Masalana. Give them a big hand. I love these guys. I love these guys. He plays the bass guitar in a white swara, man. He blows, and the brother can blow. Shababa. I'm between two great people. I'm also great, too, because I'm between two great people. I'm rubbing the shoulders of, anyhow, so now listen to this person. You know, comparison, people oftentimes, when they think of comparison, they only think about it on the one side, that you're comparing yourself with somebody less than you. You know? And and so it's a comparison. But there's another side of comparison that we don't actually see and we don't understand. Let me explain to you. Oftentimes, there'll always be somebody worse than you doing less than you. And if you're a person who loves to excuse yourself, you'll always compare yourself with people who are not where you are. (laughs) I'll use these two brothers as an example of what Paul says. Paul says, forgetting the things that are behind, and reaching forth to the things that are before. He's talking about his path of destiny. He says, I'm I'm reaching forth, I'm straining to apprehend what Christ has apprehended for me. Paul is actually saying, if I decode it, he says. I only compare myself with the standard that God has set for me. All right. Now, if this is how far God wants me to have grown in ministry after four years, I should have reached this level. Uh, <laughs> then After four years of ministry, I can easily compare myself. (laughs) 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 And I can feel, see how much I have achieved. I have reached this level. Now people may applaud me. People may say, how far he has gone. But heaven is saying, Musa, you're comparing yourself with the wrong comparison. (laughs) You shouldn't compare yourself with people on earth. You should compare yourself with the standard in heaven. This is the standard. So even if people are celebrating me, but in heaven's case, heaven is saying, no, Musa, you have underachieved my brother. See, people who make excuses, they're always looking for somebody worse than them. So that it makes you feel comfortable. The reality is heaven is saying, house of it. And what I found out is that when it's heaven standard, it's almost difficult to get there. Because the, the more is the more heavenly and you're always training. mamela. And because you're always training You have no time to compare yourself You are busy, wrapped up Consumed in trying to do this And because you're not getting there It keeps you humble That when you meet other people who haven't been there yet You want them to be able to get to this level as well Because this is God's standard Can I hear an amen in this house? Can I hear an amen in this house? Stop comparing yourself with other people Thanks guys Compare yourself with the standard of heaven. Let me read for you. One verse. Give these guys a big hand. Give these guys a big hand. Listen to what Paul says in the Amplified Bible. 2 Corinthians ten twelve. He says, not that we have the audacity to venture to class or even to compare ourselves with some who exalt and furnish testimonials for themselves. However, when they measure themselves with themselves, and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding and they behave unwisely. We, on the other hand, will not boast beyond our legitimate province and proper limit, but we will keep within the limits of our commission which God has allocated us as our measuring line and which reaches and includes even you. Paul is saying, my standard of comparison is what heaven has placed for me. And if you, if you compare yourself that way, you'll never be puffed up. You'll never be proud. But most of all, you'll never look down upon anybody. The worst thing, Bazarina, we can do is to power up to people who have less than what we have. And to be inflated and make ourselves feel better because we're standing next to the standard that's not really the standard. It's easy to get the applause of earth when heaven is frowning on our achievement. It's easy. But when you are dialed in to heaven's standard, you'll realize you don't have time to be boasting about your achievements because there's far more that's there. Paul says, I am straining, he says, I'm reaching. He says I'm reaching forth for what Christ had. I'm trying to apprehend what Christ has apprehended for me I'm reaching and this is a man who has done so much in ministry and yet he says I'm still trying to reach for more and I believe God's going to help us to be men and women who don't walk in excuses I'm hoping next time you find your tongue trying to say wena,' shugutuk, no excuse I'm going to face up to the reality of my life and I'm not going to make excuses. Give the Lord a big hand for that. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a hand. I know it wasn't an easy sermon. One of the excuses people give when they come to a service like this is that even when they hear God speak to them, they try to toughen up and not respond to scab on I've, I've seen people because like Baba gets us cock and yet the, the truth is this we are here because we are men and women who desperately need God's help yeah and we are not afraid to own up ...to the reality. The one who is able to bring change in our lives. You can be in a place like this... ...with a heart that's far from God. With a life riddled with wrong and sin. And your life going downstream... Like a train out of control, a good train. That's out of control. And you don't know how to stop it. And you can pass up an opportunity for Jesus to intervene. Change the course of your life. As you've been sitting, you've heard God's word. I'm very sure with what you've heard, you've looked at your life. You've pondered about the reality of your life. Sometimes people realize that, you know what, my life is far from God. Even if I go to church, even if I pray, my life is far from God. You know, I was so blessed and I I hope I'm not going to embarrass this person. And I, I will not go into the details. But I was approached by somebody this week here in the church. I was so moved, so moved. I don't mind telling you the agenda. It was a young guy. As I came to church, he, so I parked my car. He was right there. And you know, usually I ask people to come per appointment because I see so many people, you know. But the look on his face, I could, I've, I've led I've for years, I've talked to people, I could see he's desperate. And he said, I must talk to you. And I realized, okay, I'm going to change everything. And, and I said, okay. Finally, I sat down with a young guy and Tells me, says, I'm tired of my life going in the wrong direction. Don't want to do this anymore. And on talking to him, cut long story short, I realized that much as he loved God and goes to church, he hadn't yet experienced what it is to be born again. And I led him to Christ. And later on, I asked him to be led to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Bishop Maturk. You know, that day on Tuesday when he left, this young man doesn't know that he taught me something. We may make an assumption that everybody here when we make the altar call, you understand what we're doing. You may be here, maybe visiting. You love the someone, you love everything, but when we make the altar call, you may feel, no, because I go to church, I'm okay. No, you're not okay. If you've never... Ask Jesus to come into your life. If you don't ever remember a day where you made that decision that Jesus should come into your life, as yet, you haven't encountered Christ. Because when you encounter Christ, something's going to happen in your spirit now. I just loved it after I prayed with this young guy. I could just see something has happened on the inside of him. My goodness. I was so happy. And I thought, God, Are you telling me that even when we make the altar call, even when we preach so hard, we can miss some? When I stand on the pulpit next with God, on Sunday, it is this weekend here, on Sunday, I'll make sure we don't miss anybody. Whoever you are, maybe you came to this church since you were a child. Maybe you are visiting. Maybe somebody has invited you. Whatever the situation, maybe it's not the first time you come. But here's the reality. You don't ever remember a day where you consciously invited Jesus Christ to come into your heart? I'm not talking about being a good moral person, good as that can be. I'm not talking about being a good churchgoer, as good as that can be. Jesus said to Nicodemus, a religious leader, he said, you must be born again. Something must happen in your spirit. you got to encounter God and your life can change. And that's the only way you can be able to live right. And I told this young man, you've been trying to live right in your own strength can do it. Even if you have a high sense of morality, none of us has the power to defeat sin. Sin is only dealt with by the presence of Christ in our lives. It is Jesus in us when he comes into our lives and makes us to be God's children. So I'm asking you, today don't make any excuse. Don't make the excuse of postponing. Don't make the excuse that you are embarrassed. Don't make the excuse of what will people say. Doesn't matter. You may even be in one of our department heads. You may even be one person in the music group. You may be one of our pastors. Doesn't matter to me. If you've never encountered Christ, today I want to call on you to invite Christ in your life. Can you please bow our heads and close our eyes? The reason I ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes is to afford people the privacy to make a decision and to give people a chance that in the secrecy of your own space, Talk to God about your life. Is your life right before God? Are you born again? If you were to die now, will you go to heaven? If you were, your life was to be taken now, will you stand before God with the confidence of knowing you will go into heaven? If you are doubtful about that, then it's you I'm talking to. You must be born again. And I want to lead you to Christ today. Every head bowed, please. Every eye closed. Nobody moving. Nobody living except those who are helping us here. If that is you, wherever you are, whether you are in the foyer or in the main auditorium here, if you say, please pray for me. I want to receive Christ. I am tired of making excuses. Pray for me, please. I want Jesus in my life. Would you raise your hand without any fear, without any doubt? Just raise it high. Let me see that hand right now so that I can pray for you. Thank you for those hands all over the place. Raise them high. Don't worry. Who's looking at you? Don't worry what they think about you. Make no excuse today for once in your life. Own up to the reality of your life. Own up to where you are and say, you know what? If I want to tell the truth, though I come here, though I'm worshiping here, though I love everything here, but I don't know Christ as my Savior and Lord. It might be your first visit today. Maybe all this might be strange to you. But as I'm talking now, you can sense the spirit of God talking to your spirit. I ask you, please don't say no. Please don't shut God out. I ask you, please don't postpone. Please don't put it off to tomorrow. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the moment when God is talking to you. Make no excuse today and say, I'm coming. I am coming. Thank you for those hands. God bless every one of you. May I ask all of you who raised your hands. Would you please just stand on your feet right where you are, please? Without any fear, stand on your feet. This is your day today. Stand all over the place. That's right. All over, all over, all over, all over. That's right. That's right. That's right. Hallelujah. There may be others who didn't raise their hands, but you want to stand with them. You want to stand with these people. Go ahead and stand with them. Stand. Stand. You may have brought somebody, just whisper to them and say, you know what? I'll stand with you if you want to stand. Come on, just stand today. Stand today. You know why I'm doing this? Because there comes a day when excuses will never work. There comes a day when we can't say to God, I didn't know. You have been given a chance. Come on, take that chance today. Take that stand. Say, today I'm responding. Today I'm responding. Yeah, that's right. Give them an encouragement. That's the way to encourage them. The best thing that can ever happen to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to ask all of you who are standing, I want to pray for you, please. If you could make your way, even those in the foyer, come all the way and stand in the front. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. The greatest thing ever that can ever happen to a human being is to be born again. Yeah. For For your soul your spirit to be changed by God and have an encounter, living encounter with Jesus Christ. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you that you you have the courage and the guts to make that bold decision. It's not easy to raise your hand and walk in front of all these people. But that's the kind of desperation and commitment God is looking for. We should not apologize for putting the course of our lives on a different trajectory. We shouldn't apologize. We shouldn't feel sad or sorry to make decisions. People are making decisions, are making decisions for all kinds of crazy things. We, we don't mind making decisions for God because that's what God is in our lives. It's everything. The day we leave this world, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And God will ask people, what did you do with your life? I was 17 years old when I made this decision you're making. 5th of August, 1978. I knew in my heart that I needed to In my heart, I knew my life wasn't where God wants it to be. I didn't understand everything I understand now. And if I was to live my life again, I'd make exactly the same decision. Because it is that decision that showed me there's more to God than just being a religious person. Just reading Bibles and singing hymns. It's about a relationship. A living relationship for that matter with Jesus Christ that's what gives us the power to live right and to live in a way that honors God and for you young people and every one of you that's the greatest way your life can be protected and secured from the pull and the attraction of this evil world and all the things that are causing the demise of so many of our people and their lives being snuffed out. And them never even maximizing in the people God made them to be. That's what God can do. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Bless you. And God is able to do that. He's okay right there. He's okay right there. You can stand right there, my brother. Thank you so much. I want to pray for you. And we're going to have people are counseling with you. who are going to be counseling with you for a few minutes. And when they're done, you don't have to come back into the service. The service is over. But... If you're looking for a church to belong to, we would be glad to have you here as a member if you don't have one at all. If you're looking for a spiritual home, I'd be glad to be your pastor. It would be a great privilege for me. Let me pray for you. Stretch your hands towards these people. Father, bless everyone who stands here. Oh, you are starting a good work in them. The work of your spirit. Oh God, I know what you begin. You always bring to completion. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said,